Hello, students. Okay, we're going to continue with Winn-Dixie. Chapter 11. That night, there was a real bad thunderstorm. But what woke me up wasn't the thunder and lightning. It was Winn-Dixie, whining and butting his head against my bedroom door. Winn-Dixie, I said, what are you doing? He didn't pay any attention to me. He just kept beating his head against the door and whining and whimpering. And when I got out of bed and went over and put my hand on his head, he was shaking and trembling so hard that it scared me. I knelt down and wrapped my arms around him. But he didn't turn and look at me or smile or sneeze or wag his tail or do any normal kind of Winn-Dixie thing. He just kept beating his head against the door and crying and shaking. You want the door open, I said? Huh? Is that what you want? I stood up and opened the door, and Winn-Dixie flew through it like something big and ugly and mean was chasing him. Winn-Dixie, I hissed, come back here. I didn't want him going and waking the preacher up, but it was too late. Winn-Dixie was already at the other end of the trailer in the preacher's room. I could tell because there was a sproving sound that must have come from Winn-Dixie jumping up on the bed. <laughs> And then there was a sound from the preacher, like he was real surprised. But none of it lasted long because Winn-Dixie came tearing back out of the preacher's preacher's room, panting and running like crazy. I tried to grab him, but he was going too fast. Opal, said the preacher. He was standing at the door to his bedroom with his hair, and his hair was all kind of wild. <laughs> on top of his head, and he was looking around like he wasn't sure where he was. Opal, what's going on? I don't know, I told him, but just then there was a huge crack of thunder, one so loud that it shook the whole trailer, and when dixie came shooting back out of the room and went running right past me and screamed, and I screamed, Daddy, watch out! But the preacher was still confused. He just stood there. And Winn-Dixie came barreling right toward him like he was a bowling ball. And the preacher was the only pin left standing. And wham! They both fell to the ground. Uh-oh, I said. Opal, said the preacher. He was lying on his stomach. And Winn-Dixie was on top of him, panting and whining. Yes, sir, I said. Opal, the preacher said again. Yes, sir, I said louder. Do you know what a pathological fear is? No, sir, I told him. The preacher raised a hand. He rubbed his nose. Well, he said after a minute, it's a fear that goes way beyond normal fears. It's a fear you can't be talked out of or reasoned out of. Just then, there was another crack of thunder, and Winn-Dixie rose straight up in the air like somebody had poked him with something hot. When he hit the floor, he started running. He ran back to my bedroom, and I didn't even try to catch him. I just got out of the way. The preacher lay there on the ground, rubbing his nose. Finally, he sat up. He said, Opal, I believe Winn-Dixie has a pathological fear of thunderstorms. And just when he finished his sentence, here came Winn-Dixie again, running to save his life. I got the preacher up off the floor and out of the way just in time. There didn't seem to be a thing we could do for Winn-Dixie to make him feel better, so we just sat there and watched him run back and forth, all terrorized and panting. And every time there was another crack of thunder, 
Winn-Dixie acted all over again like it was surely the end of the world. The storm won't last long, the preacher told me. And when it's over, the real Winn-Dixie will come back. After a while, the storm did end. The rain stopped and there wasn't any more lightning. And finally, the last rumble of thunder went away and Winn-Dixie quit running back and forth and came over to where me and the preacher were sitting and cocked his head like he was saying, What in the world are you two doing out of bed in the middle of the night? <laughs> oh, then he crept up on the couch with us in the funny way he has, where he gets on the couch an inch at a time, kind of sliding himself on it, looking off in different direction, like it's all happening by accident, like he doesn't intend to get on the couch, but all of a sudden, there he is. And so the three of us sat there. I rubbed Winn-Dixie's head and scratched him behind the ears the way he liked. And the preacher said, there's an awful lot of thunderstorms in Florida in the summertime. Yes, sir, I said. I was afraid that maybe... He would say we couldn't keep a dog and went crazy with pathological fear every time there was a crack of thunder. We'll have to keep an eye on him, the preacher said. He put his arm around Winn-Dixie. We'll have to make sure he doesn't get out during a storm. He might run away. We have to make sure we keep him safe. Yes, sir, I said again. All of a sudden, it was hard for me to talk. I love the preacher so much. I love them because he loved Winn-Dixie. I loved him because he was going to forgive Winn-Dixie for being afraid. But most of all, I loved him for putting his arm around Winn-Dixie like that. But he was already trying to keep him safe. Chapter 12. Me and Winn-Dixie... Me and Winn-Dixie got to Gertrude's pets... So early for my first day of work that the clothes sign was still in the window. But when I pushed on the door, it swung open, and so we went on inside. I was about to call out to Otis that we were there, but then I heard music. It was the prettiest music I have ever heard in my life. I looked around to see where it was coming from, and that's when I noticed that all the animals were out of their cages. There were rabbits and hamsters and gerbils and... Mice and birds and lizards and snakes, and they, <clears throat> they were all just sitting there on the floor like they had turned to stone, and Otis was standing in the middle of them. He was playing a guitar, and he had on skinny pointy-toed cowboy boots, and he was tapping them while he was playing the musics. His eyes were closed, and he was smiling. Winn-Dixie got a dreamy kind of look in his face. He smiled really hard at Otis, and then he sneezed, and then his whiskers went all fuzzy, and then he sighed and kind of drooped, kind of dropped to the floor with all the other animals. Just then, Gertrude caught sight of Winn-Dixie. Dog, she croaked, and flew over and landed on his head. Otis looked up at me. He stopped playing his guitar, and the spell was broken. The rabbits started hopping, and the birds started flying, and the lizards started leaping, and the snakes started slithering, and Winn-Dixie started barking and chasing everything that was moving. And Otis shouted, Help me! 
for what seemed like a long time, me and Otis ran around trying to catch mice and gerbils and hamsters and snakes and lizards. We kept on bumping into each other and tripping over the animals, and Gertrude kept screaming, Dog! Dog! Every time I caught something, I put it back in the first cage I saw. I didn't care if it was the right cage or not. I just put it in and slammed the door. And the whole time I was chasing things, I was thinking that Otis might be some kind of snake charmer. The way he could play his guitar and make all the animals turn to stone. And then I thought, this is silly. I shouted over when Dixie barking and Gertrude yelling. I said, play some more music, Otis. He looked at me for a minute. Then he started playing his guitar. And in just a few seconds, everything was quiet. When Dixie was lying on the floor, blinking his eyes and smiling to himself and sneezing every now and then, and the mice and the gerbils and the rabbits and the lizards and the snakes that we hadn't caught yet got quiet and sat still. And I picked them up one by one and put them back in their cages. When I was all done, Otis stopped playing. He looked down at his boots. I was just playing them some music. Makes, me, makes them happy. Yes, sir, I said. Did they escape from their cages? No, Otis said. I take them out. I feel sorry for them being locked up all the time. I know what it's like being locked up. You do? I asked. I said. I've been in jail, Otis said. He looked up at me real quick and then looked back down at his boots. You have, I said. Never mind, said Otis. Are you here to sweep the floor? Yes, sir, I told him. He walked over to the counter and started digging through a pile of things, and finally he came up with a broom. Here, he said, you should start sweeping. Only he must have gotten confused. He was holding out his guitar for me instead of the broom. With your guitar, I asked. He blushed and handed me the broom, and I started to work. I am a good sweeper. I swept the whole store and then dusted some of the shelves. The whole time I worked, when Dixie followed me... Followed me, and Gertrude followed him, flying behind him and sitting on his head and his back and croaking real quiet to herself. Dog! Dog! When I, I was done, Otis thanked me. I left Gertrude's pets thinking about how the preacher probably wouldn't like it very much that I was working for a criminal. Sweetie Pie Thomas was waiting for me right out front. I seen that, she said. She stood there and sucked on her knuckle and stared at me. See what? I said. I seen all them owls out of their cages and keep them real still. Is that man magic? She asked. Kind of, I told her. She hugged Win Dixie around the neck. Just like this grocery store dog, right? Right, I said. I started walking and Sweetie Pie took her knuckle out of her mouth and put her hand in mine. Are you coming to my birthday party? She asked. I surely am, I told her. The theme is pink, she said. I know it, I told her. I gotta go, she said all of a sudden. I gotta go home and tell my mama about what I seen. I live right down there in that yellow house. That's my mama on the porch. You see her? She's waving at you. I waved at the woman on the porch, and she waved back. And I watched Sweetie Pie run off to tell her mama about Otis being a magic man. It made me think about how my mama... It made me think about my mama and how I wanted to tell her the story about Otis charming all the animals.
I was collecting stories for her. I would also tell her about Miss Franny and the bear and about meeting Gloria Dump and believing for just a minute that she was a witch. I had a feeling that these were the kind of stories my mama would like, the kind that would make her laugh out loud, the way the preacher said she liked to laugh. Chapter 13. Me and Win Dixie got into a daily routine where we would leave the trailer early in the morning and get down to Gertrude's pets in time to hear Otis play his guitar music for the animals. Sometimes Sweetie Pie snuck in for the concert, too. She sat on the floor and wrapped her arms around Win Dixie and rocked him back and forth like he was a big old teddy bear. And then, when the music was over, she would walk around trying to pick out which pet she wanted. But she always gave up and went home because the only thing that really wanted was a bit was a dog like Win Dixie. After she was gone, I would sweep and clean up and even arrange some of Otis's shells because he did not have an eye for arranging things, and I did. And when I was done, Otis would write down my time in a notebook that he had marked on the outside. One red leather collar, one red leather leash. And the whole time, he did not in any way ever act like a criminal. After working at Group Gertrude's Pets, me and Win dixie would go over to the Herman W. Block Memorial Library and talk to Mrs. Miss Franny Block and listen to her tell us a story. But my favorite place to be that summer was in Gloria Dump's yard. And I figured it was Win dixies favorite place, too, uh, to be too, because when we got up to the last block before her house, when Dixie would break away from my bike and start to run for all he was worth, heading for Gloria Dump's backyard and his spoonful of peanut butter. Sometimes Dunlap and Stevie Dewberry would follow me. They would holler, There goes the preacher's daughter visiting the witch! She's not a witch, I told them. It made me mad the way they wouldn't listen to me and kept on believing whatever they wanted to believe about Gloria Dump. One time, Stevie said to me, My mama says you shouldn't be spending all your time cooped up in that pet shop and at that library sitting around talking with old ladies. She says you should get out in fresh air and play with your kids your own age. That's what my mama says. Oh, lay off her, Dunlap said to Stevie. Then he turned to me. He don't mean it, he said. But I was already mad. I shouted at Stevie. I said, I don't care what your mama says. She's not my mama, so she can't tell me what to do. I'm going to tell my mama you said that, shouted Stevie. And she'll tell your daddy, and he'll shame you in front of the whole church. And that pet shop man is retarded, and he was in jail. And I wonder if your daddy knows that. Well, this is not retarded, I said. And my daddy knows that he was in jail. That was a lie, but I didn't care. And you can go ahead and tell me on me if you want, you big bald-headed baby. <laughs> I swear, about the worst wore me out yelling at Dunlap and Stevie Dewberry every day. By the time I got to Gloria Dumpshard, I felt like a soldier who had been fighting a hard battle. Gloria would make me a peanut butter sandwich straight off, and then she would pour me a cup of coffee with half coffee and half milk, and that would refresh me. Why don't you play with them boys, Gloria asked me. Because they're ignorant, I told her. They still don't think you're a witch. I don't matter. It don't matter. It doesn't matter how many times I tell them you're not. 
I think they're just trying to make friends with you in a roundabout way, Gloria said. I don't want to be their friends, I said. I might be fun having them. It might be fun having them two boys for friends. I'd rather talk to you, I said. They're stupid. And I mean, they're, and they're boys. Gloria would shake her head and sigh. And then she would ask me what was going on in the world and I, and did I have any stories to tell her? And I always did. Chapter 14. Sometimes I told Gloria the story Miss Fanny Block had just told me. Or I imitated Otis, tapping his pointy-toed boots and playing for all the animals, and that always made her laugh. And sometimes I made up a story and Gloria Dump would listen to it all the way through from beginning to end. She told me she used to love to read stories, but she couldn't anymore because her eyes were so bad. Can't you get some really strong glasses? I asked her. Child, she said, they don't make glasses strong enough for these eyes. One day, when the storytelling was done, I decided to tell Gloria that Otis was a criminal. I thought maybe I should tell an adult about it. Gloria was the best adult I knew. Gloria, I said. Mm-hmm, she said back. You know Otis? I don't know him, but I know what you tell me about him. Well, he's a criminal. He'd been in jail. Do you, th- do you think I should be afraid of him? What for? I don't know. For doing bad things, I guess. For being in jail? Child, said Gloria. Let me show you something. She got up out of her chair real slow, took hold of my arm. Let's the two of us walk all the way to the back of this yard. Okay, I said. We walked and Win Dixie followed right behind us. It was a huge yard. I had never been all the way in, the, in it, back in it. When we got to the big old tree, we stopped. Look at this tree, Gloria said. I looked up. There were bottles hanging from just about every branch. There were whiskey bottles and beer bottles and wine bottles, all tied on with a string, and some of them were clanking against each other and making spooky kind of noise. Me and Win dixie stood and stared at the tree, and hair on the top of his head rose up a little bit, and he growled deep in his throat. Gloria Dump pointed her cane at the tree. What do you think about this tree? I said, I don't don't know. Why are all these bottles on it? To keep the ghosts away, Gloria said. What ghosts? The ghosts of all the things I've done wrong. I looked at all the bottles on the tree. You did that many things wrong, I asked her. "Mm Mm-hmm, said Gloria. More than that. But you're the nicest person I know, I told her. Don't mean I haven't done bad things, she said. There's whiskey bottles on on there, I told her. And beer bottles. Child, said Gloria Dunn. I know that. I'm the one who put them there. I'm the one who drank what was in them. My mama drank, I whispered. I know it, Gloria Dump said. The preacher says that sometimes she couldn't stop drinking. Mm-hmm, said Gloria again. That, that's, that's the way it is for, for some folks. We get started and we can't get stopped. Are you one of those people? Yes, ma'am. I am. 
But these days, I don't drink nothing stronger than coffee. Dad, did the whiskey and beer and wine, did they make you do the bad things that are ghosts now? Some of them, said Gloria Dump. Some of them. Some of that I would have done away with, with alcohol or without it, before I learned. Learned what? Learned what is the most important thing. What's that, I asked her. It's different for everyone, she said. You'll find out on your own. But in the meantime, you got to remember, you can't always judge people by the things they've done. You got to judge them by what they are doing now. You judge Otis by the pretty music he plays and how kind he is to those them animals because that's all you know about him right now. All right? Yes, ma'am, I said. And them Dewberry boys, you try not to judge them too harsh either, all right? All right, I said. All right then, said Glory Dump. And she turned and started walking away. When Dixie nudged me with his wet nose and wagged his tail when I saw I wasn't when he saw I wasn't going, he trotted after Gloria. I stayed where I was and studied the tree. I wondered if my mama, wherever she was, had a tree full of bottles. And I wonder if I was a ghost to her, the same way she sometimes seemed like a ghost to me. Chapter 15. The Herman W. Block Memorial Library's air conditioning unit didn't work very well, and there was only one fan. And from the minute me and Winn-Dixie got in the library, he hogged it all. He lay right in front of it, wagged his tail, and let it blow its fur all around. Some of his fur was pretty loose and blew right off of him like a dandelion puff. I wondered about him hogging the fan, worried about it, and I worried about the fan blowing him bald. But Miss Franny said not to worry about either thing, that when Dixie could hog the fan if he wanted, and she had never in her life seen a dog made bald by a fan. Sometimes Miss Franny was telling a story, she would have a fit. The, uh, they were small fits. They didn't last long. But what happened was she would forget what she was saying. She would just stop and start to stare, shake like a little leaf. And when that happened, Winn-Dixie would get up from the fan and sit, sit right at Miss Franny Block's side. He would sit up tall, protecting her, with his ears standing up straight on his head like soldiers. And when Miss Franny stopped shaking and started talking again, when Dixie would lick her hand and lie back down in front of the fan. Whenever Miss Franny had one of her fits, it reminded me of Win Dixie in a thunderstorm. There were a lot of thunderstorms that summer. And I got real good at holding on to Win Dixie whenever they came. I held on to him and comforted, comforted him and whispered to him and rocked him, just the same way he tried to comfort Miss Franny when she had her fits. Only I held on to Winn-Dixie for another reason, too. I held on to him tight so he wouldn't run away. It all made me think about Gloria Dump. I wondered who'd confronted her when she heard those bottles knocking together, those ghosts chattering, 
about the things she had done wrong. I wanted to comfort Gloria Dump. And I decided that the best way to do that would be to read her a book. Read it to her loud enough to keep the ghosts away. And so I asked Miss Franny. I said, Miss Franny, I've got a grown-up friend whose eyes are going on her. Her eyes are going on her, and I would like to read her a book out loud. Do you have any suggestions? Suggestions, Miss Franny said? Yes, ma'am. I have suggestions. Of course, I have suggestions. How about Gone with the Wind? What's that about, I asked her. Why, said Miss Franny, it's a wonderful story about the Civil War. The Civil War, I said. Do not tell me you have never heard of the Civil War. Miss Franny Block looked like she was going to faint. She waved her hands in front of her face. I know about the Civil War, I told her. That was the war between the South and the North over slavery. Slavery, yes, said Miss Franny. It was also about states' rights and money. It was a terrible war. My grandfather, great-grandfather fought in that war. He was just a boy. Your great-grandfather? Yes, ma'am. Litmus W. Block. Now, there's a story. When Dixie yawned real big and lay down on his side with a thump and a sigh. I swear he knew that phrase. Now, there's a story. And he knew it meant we weren't going anywhere real soon. Go ahead and tell it. Tell it to me, Miss Franny, I said. And I sat down cross-legged next to Winn-Dixie. I pushed him and tried to get him to share the fan. But he pretended he was asleep, and he wouldn't move. I was all settled in, ready for a good story, when the door banged and pinch-faced Amanda Wilkinson came in. Winn-Dixie sat up and stared at her. He tried out a smile on her, but she didn't smile back, and so he lay down again. I'm ready for another book, man said, slamming her book down on Miss Franny's desk. Well, said Miss Franny, maybe you wouldn't mind waiting. I am telling India Opal a story about my great-grandfather. You are, of course, more than welcome to listen. It will be just one minute. Amanda sighed a real big dramatic sigh and started past me, stared past me. She pretended like she wasn't interested. But she was. I could tell. Come sit over here, said Miss Franny. I'll stand, thank you, said Amanda. Suit yourself, Miss Franny shrugged. Now, where was I? Oh, yes, Litmus. Litmus W. Block. Chapter 16. Miss W. Block was just a boy when the firing on Fort Sumter began, occurred. Miss Franny Block said as she started in her, in on her story. Fort Sumter, I said. It was the firing on Fort Sumter that started the war, said Amanda. Okay, I said, but shrugged. Well, Litmus was 14 years old. He was strong and big, but he was still just a boy. His daddy, Artley W. Block, had already enlisted, and Litmus told his mama that he could not stand by and let the South get beat, and so we went to fight, too. Miss Franny looked around the library, and then she whispered, Men and boys always want to fight. They are always looking for a reason to go to war. It is the saddest thing. They have this uh, abiding notion that war is fun, and no history lesson 
will convince them differently. Anyway, Litmus went and enlisted. He lied about his age. <clears throat> yes, ma'am, like I said, <clears throat> he was a big boy. And the army took him. And Litmus, Litmus went off to war just like that. Left behind his mother and three sisters, he went off to be a hero. But he soon found out the truth. Miss Franny closed her eyes and shook her head. What truth, I asked her. Why, the war is hell. Miss Franny said, with her eyes still closed, pure hell. Hell's a cuss word, said Amanda. I stole a look at her face. Her face was pinched up even more than usual. War, said Miss Franny, with her eyes still closed, should be a cuss word, too. She shook her head and opened her eyes. She pointed at me, and then she pointed at Amanda. You, neither of you, can imagine. No, ma'am, Amanda said. Uh, Amanda and me said at exactly the same time. We looked real quick at each other and then back at Miss Franny. You cannot imagine. Litmus was hungry all the time, and he was covered with all manner of vermin, fleas and lice, and in the winter he was so cold he thought for sure he would freeze to death. And in the summer, why, there's nothing worse than war in the summertime. It stinks so. And the only thing that made Litmus forget that he was hungry and itchy and hot or cold was that he was getting shot at. And he got shot at quite a bit. And he was nothing more than a child. Did he get killed? I asked Miss Fanny. Good grief, said Amanda. She rolled her eyes. Now, Opal, Miss Franny said, I wouldn't be standing here in this room telling the story if he was killed. I wouldn't exist. No, ma'am, he had to live. But he was a changed man. Yes, ma'am, a changed man. He walked back home when the war was over. He walked from Virginia all the way back to Georgia. He didn't have a horse. Nobody had a horse except for the Yankees. He walked. And when he got home, there was no home there. Where was it, I asked her. I didn't care if a man had thought I was stupid. I wanted to know. Why, Miss Franny shouted so loud that when Dixie and Amanda Wilkinson and me and all, all jumped, the Yankees burned it. Yes, ma'am. Burned it to the ground. What about his sisters, Amanda asked. <clears throat> she moved around the desk and came and sat on the floor. She looked up at Miss Franny. What happened to them? Dead. Dead of typhoid fever. Oh, no, Amanda said in a real soft voice. And his mama, I whispered, dead too. And his father, Commander asked, what happened to him? He died on the battlefield. Litmus was an orphan, I asked. Yes, ma'am, said Miss Franny Block. Litmus was an orphan. This is a sad story, I told Miss Franny. Sure is, said Amanda. And I was amazed that she was agreeing with me about something. 
I'm not done yet, Miss Franny said. When Dixie started to snore, and I nudged him with my foot to try and make him quit. I wanted to hear the rest of the story. It was important to me to hear how Litmus survived after losing everything he loved. Chapter 17. Well, Litmus came home from the war, said Miss Franny as she went on with her story, and found himself alone. And he sat down on what used to be the front step of his house, and he cried and cried. He cried just like a baby. He missed his mama, and he missed his daddy, and he missed his sisters, and he missed the boy he used to be. When he finally finished crying... He had the strangest sensation. He felt like he wanted something sweet. He wanted a piece of candy. He hadn't had a piece of candy in years. And it was right then that he made a decision. Yes, ma'am, Litmus W. Block figured the world was a sorry affair and that it had enough ugly things in it. And... What he was going to do was concentrate on putting something sweet in it. He got up and started walking. He walked all the way to Florida. And the whole time he was walking, he was planning. Planning what? I asked. Why, planning the candy factory. Did he build it? I asked. Of course he did. It's still standing out on Fairville Road. That old building, said Amanda, that that big spooky one. It's not spooky, said Miss Franny. It was the birthplace of the family fortune. It was there that my great-grandfather manufactured the litmus lozenge, a candy that was famous the world over. I've never heard of it, said Amanda. Me neither, I said. Well, said Miss Franny, they aren't made anymore. The world, it seems, lost its appetite for litmus lozenges. But I still happen to have a few. She opened the top drawer of her desk. It was full of candy. She opened the drawer below that. It was full of candy, too. Miss Fanny Block's whole desk was full of candy. Would you care for a litmus lozenge? She asked Amanda and me. Yes, please, said Amanda. Sure, I said. Can we, can Win Dixie have one too? I've never known a dog that cared for hard candy, said Miss Franny. But he is welcome to try one. Miss Franny gave Amanda one litmus lozenge and me too. I unwrapped one and held it out to Win Dixie. He sat up and sniffed it and wagged his tail and took the candy from between my fingers real gentle. <clears throat> he tried to chew on it, and when that didn't work, he just swallowed the whole thing in one big gulp. Then he wagged his tail at me and lay back down. I ate my lit- litmus lozenge slow. It tasted good. I t- it tasted like root beer and strawberry and something else. I didn't have a name for it. Something that made me feel kind of sad. I looked over to Amanda. She was sucking on her candy and thinking hard. Do you like it? Miss Franny asked. Yes, ma'am, I told her. What about you, Amanda? Do you like the litmus lozenge? Yes, ma'am, she said. But it makes me think of things I feel sad about. 
I wondered what in the world Amanda Wilkinson had to feel sad about. She wasn't new in town. She had a mama and a daddy. I had seen her with, with them in church. There's a secret ingredient in there, Miss Franny said. I know it, I told her. I can taste it. What is it? Sorrow, Miss Franny said. Not everybody can taste it. Children especially seem to have a hard time knowing it's there. I taste it, I said. Me too, said Amanda. <clears throat> well then, Miss Franny said. You're, you're, you've probably both had your share of sadness. I had to move away from Watley and leave all my friends, I said. That is one sadness I have had. And Dunlop and Stevie Dewberry are always picking on me. That's another sadness. And the biggest one, my biggest sadness, is that my mama left me when I was still small. And I can hardly remember her. I keep hoping I'll get to meet her and tell her some stories. It makes me miss Carson, said Amanda. She sounded like she was going to cry. I have to go. And she got up and almost ran out of the Herman W. Block Memorial Library. Who's Carson, I asked Miss Franny. She shook her head. Sorrow, she said. It is a sorrow-filled world. But how do you put that in a piece of candy, I asked her. How do you get that taste in there? That's the secret, she said. That's why Litmus made a fortune. He manufactured a piece of candy that tasted sweet and sad at the same time. Can I have a piece to take my friend Gloria Dump and another one to take to Otis down at Gertrude's Pets and, and one for the preacher and one for Sweetie Pie too? You may have as many as you want, said Miss Franny. So I stuffed my pockets full of litmus lozenges. <laughs> I thanked Miss Franny for her story. And I checked out Gone with the Wind, which was a very big book. And I told Winn-Dixie to get up. And the two of us left and went over to Gloria Dumps. <clears throat> I rode right past the Dewberry's house. Dunlap and Stevie were playing football in the front yard. And I was just getting ready to stick my tongue out at them. But then I thought about what Miss Franny said about... War being hell, and I thought about what Gloria Dump said about not judging them too hard, and so I just waved instead. They stood and stared at me, but when I was almost all the way past, I saw Dunlop put his hand up in the air way back. Hey, I hollered. Hey, Opal. I waved harder, and I thought about Amanda Wilkinson and how it was neat that she liked this good story the same as I did. And I wondered again, who was Carson? Chapter 18, when we got to Gloria Dumps, I told her I had two surprises for her and asked which one did she want first, the small one or the big one? The small one, said Gloria. I handed her the litmus lozenge and she moved it around in her hands, feeling it. Candy, she said. Yes, ma'am, I told her. It's called a litmus lozenge. Oh, Lord, yes. I remember these candies. My daddy used to eat them. She unwrapped the litmus lozenge and put it in her mouth and nodded her head. You like it, I asked her. Mm-hmm. She nodded her head slowly. It tastes sweet, but it also tastes like people leaving. You mean sad, I asked her. Does it taste like sorrow to you? That's right, she said. Yeah, it tastes sorrowful, but sweet. Now, 
What's surprise number two? A book, I said. A book? Uh-huh, I said. I'm going to read it out loud to you. It's called Gone with the Wind, Miss Fanny. So this is a great book. It's about the Civil War. Do you know all about the Civil War? I have heard it mentioned a time or two, said Gloria, nodding her head and sucking on her litmus lozenge. It's going to take us a long time to read this book, I told her. There are 1,037 pages. Woo-wee, said Gloria. She leaned back in her chair and crossed her hands on her stomach. We best get started then. And so I read the first chapter of Going with the Wind Out Loud, Gloria Dump. I read it loud enough to keep her ghosts away, and Gloria listened to it good. And when I was done, she said it was the best surprise she had ever had, and she couldn't wait to hear chapter two. That night, I gave the preacher his litmus lozenge right before he kissed me goodnight. What's this, he said. It's some candy that Miss Franny's great-grandmother invented. It's called a litmus lozenge. The preacher unwrapped it, put it in his uh, mouth, and after a minute, he started rubbing his nose and nodding his head. Do you like it? I asked him. It has a peculiar flavor. Root beer, I said. Root beer, I said. Something else. Strawberry? That, too. But there's still something else. It's odd. I could see the preacher getting further and further away. He was hunching up his shoulders and lowering his chin and getting ready to pull his head inside his shell. It almost tastes a little melancholy, he said. Melancholy? What's that? Sad, said the preacher. He rubbed his nose some more. It makes me think of your mother. When Dixie sniffed at the candy wrapper in the preacher's hand. It tastes sad, he said, and sighed. Must be a bad batch. No, I told him I sat up in bed. That's the way it's supposed to taste. Litmus came back from the war and his whole family was dead. His daddy died fighting, his mama and his sisters died from a disease, and the Yankees burned his house down. And Litmus was sad, very sad. And what he wanted more than anything else in the whole world was something sweet. So he built a candy factory and made Litmus lozenges. And he put all that sad he was feeling into the candy. My goodness, said the preacher. Winn-Dixie snuffed the candy wrapper out of the preacher's hand and started chewing on it. Give me that, I said to Winn-Dixie, but he wouldn't give it up. I had to reach inside his mouth and pull it out. You can't eat candy wrappers, I told him. The preacher cleared his throat. I thought he was going to say something important, maybe tell me another thing that he remembered about my mama. But what he said was, Opal... I had a talk with Mrs. Dewberry the other day. She said that Stevie says that you called him a bald-headed baby. It's true, I said, I did. But he calls Gloria Dump a witch all the time. and He calls Otis retarded. Once he even said that his mama said I shouldn't spend all my time with old ladies. That's, That's what he said. I think you should apologize, said the preacher. Me, I said. Yes, he said. You, you tell Stevie you're sorry if you said anything that hurt his feelings. I'm sure he just wants to be your friend. I don't think so, I told him. I don't think he wants to be my friend. Some people have a strange way of going about making friends, he said. You apologize. Yes, sir, I said. Then I remembered Carson. Daddy, I said, do you know anything about Amanda Wilkinson? What kind of thing? 
You know something about her and somebody named Carson? Carson was uh, her brother. He drowned last year. He's dead? Yes, said the preacher. His family is still suffering a great deal. How old was he? Five, said the preacher. He was only five years old. Daddy, I said, how could you not tell me about something like that? Other people's tragedies should not be the subject of idle conversation. There was no reason for me to tell you. It's just that I needed to know, I said, because it helps explain Amanda. No wonder she's so pinch-faced. What's that, said the preacher? Nothing, I said. Good night, India Opal, the preacher said. He leaned over and kissed me. And I smelled the root beer and the strawberry and the sadness all mixed together on his breath. He patted Winn-Dixie on the head, got up, turned off the light, closed the door. I didn't go to sleep right away. I lay there and thought how life was like a litmus lodge, how the sweet and the sad were all mixed up together and how hard it was to separate them out. It was confusing. Daddy, I shouted. After a minute, he opened the door, raised his eyebrows at me. What was that word you said? The word that meant sad? Melancholy, he said. Melancholy, I repeated. I liked the way it sounded. Like there was music hidden somewhere inside it. Good night now, the preacher said. Good night, I told him back. I got up out of bed, unwrapped the litmus lozenge, and sucked on it hard and thought about my mama leaving me. That was a melancholy feeling. And then I thought about Amanda and Carson, and that made me feel melancholy too. Poor Amanda and poor Carson. He was the same age as Sweetie Pie but he would never get to have his sixth birthday party.